You are listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlando, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, orlandocitychurch.com. The goal of God in every believer's life is to make us more like Jesus. God uses the pain and troubles in your life to enable us to become people of joy, faith, and endurance that he has created us to be. Lead Pastor Eugene Smith, today we'll be discussing the letter of James, the half-brother of Jesus. Together we will discover God's way of maturing us to be like Christ as he allows us to experience the sheer gift of pain. Our scripture text comes from James chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Today's message is entitled, The Gift of Pain. I woke up Monday morning at 4.30, and God just spoke to my heart. It was one of those, we were going to do a series starting on shape, we're going to start it next week, but God just spoke to me this message, because God was preparing me for the pain that I was about to experience this week. See, we all have pain, but the reality today, although we have pain, And the possibility for that pain to become a gift is real. We have a choice to make. Today we're going to talk about pain. How do we deal with pain in our life? How do we deal with it? How do we deal with the tragedies, the trials, the everyday stuff that happens? Everyone, as you saw in this video, has an opinion. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to James chapter 1. I want you to say, the gift. Come on, I can't hear you. The gift gift of of pain. The gift of pain. James chapter 1. And we're going to read the first eight verses. James chapter 1, and i got to get there first. James chapter 1, and we're going to read beginning with verse number 1. Page 1072, 1072 in your Bible. All right, let's begin. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Everyone say scattered. Scattered. Greetings. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Everyone say patience. Patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man unstable in all of his ways. And in verse number two, I have in the message Bible for you, the message, tra- message paraphrase of the Bible. The Bible says, considered a sheer gift. Everyone say sheer gift. Sheer. Friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Let us pray. Father, I thank you this morning that you are here today to touch our hearts. I pray that every heart will be open today to the reality that what you are taking them through and what's going on in their life will produce a good result and a glorious end. Father, I thank you this morning that although we walk through pain, God, that you said you would be with us. Now, I pray today for those who hear my voice, I pray their hearts will be prepared. I pray that there'll be no distractions, no microphone distractions, no distractions of any sort today, but they'll be able to clearly hear. And Father, I pray for myself. God, use me again. I need your help. God, I can't do this again without you. I'm totally dependent upon you today. I thank you for your grace and your amazing kindness and your wonderful name. Amen. Pain is a gift from God. Now, come on, let's be real. This is one of those places in the Bible, count it all joy, give me a break, God. Come on, you don't understand what I'm going through. Well, I, I, 
I just, I was thinking this week about this, and God really did some incredible things in my life in preparing me for the pain that I was about to experience. But I remember when I was about 17 years of age, I grew up in a, a town called Tucson, Arizona. And the part of the town that I grew up in was kind of the, the cow part of town, and it was still dirt roads and dusty roads, and it was hot outside, and the sun in the summertime was blazing hot, and it was dusty and full of cactus and critters. And, and, and I knew more about shooting BB guns, riding motorbikes, and chasing babes and drinking beer than I did about the finer things in life. That's true. I mean, I knew more about that. I didn't know a lot about the finer things in life. But at the age of 17, I went to work at this restaurant. And uh, you've heard some of these stories. You've never heard this one before, so it's a brand new one that I pulled out of my hat. But I worked at this restaurant. It's called The Tack Room. The Tack Room was a five-star rated restaurant. There were only 11 mobile rated five-star restaurants in the country at the time. This was in 1979, 1980. And, and uh, I had worked in construction. My dad was a painting contractor, and I'd been, a frame, I'd been framing and worked as a framer. So I'd been around. I'd done some concrete work. I'd been around the construction business, but somehow I ended up working at this restaurant I needed a job during the school year. I got, a, I got a job as a pearl diver. Anybody know what a pearl diver is? As a dishwasher. Pearl divers are dishwashers. And so I was a dishwasher in this restaurant, and I was working in the back. And it was, it was a very well-known restaurant. It, it had a lot of famous people that would come through there. And I was working as a dishwasher. And I remember as a 17-year-old young man, I, I saw these guys coming down in tuxedos. Now, I had never wore a tuxedo in my life before, but I thought, wow. Hey, that looks kind of cool, man. They look kind of nifty in that tuxedo. They look kind of sharp. And I was looking at that tuxedo. And, and I started talking around. I found out the guys that made all the money in the restaurant were the waiters. The busboys did pretty good. The waiters did even better. And I thought, well, shoot, man, you work down here. And I think at that time, Pearl Divers made about $3.35 an hour. That was an hourly wage. Or it might have been less, two seventy-five. I don't know. It's somewhere around there, three ten or whatever it was. And, and I thought, man, I hear that the, the busboys make $10 an hour. I want to be a busboy. So I asked the Mater D, and he's like, nah, man, we don't have a spot. But within a couple of months, a spot opened up, and it was a big deal. It was a big deal to become a busboy there. And I had to go out and bought me a tuxedo. I got me a tuxedo, and I walked out into this dining room floor, and I was clueless. I was lost. Everyone say lost. Lost season just in. You know, I never even watched that show one time, but I think everybody was lost on there. But I was lost. I was really lost. I was in a whole other world, a world that I never knew anything about. I, ha- I had no idea that someone would actually spend four or $500 on a bottle of wine. I didn't even know that that was a reality. I didn't know that people did that. I mean, think about the 1979, people spending hundreds of dollars on alcohol and liquor. And, and, and it was just a whole new world to me. And I, I remember one night I was walking around the dining room, and I was going down this, uh, this long, narrow dining room. And I mean, literally, I was looking at tables, wasn't quite sure what I was looking at. And I turned around real quickly. And when I turned around real quickly, this left-handed, six-foot-three, red-headed waiter was carrying a loaded-down, heavy tray. They were steel trays, old-school steel trays. It was loaded down with dishes. He was coming through the dining room. And as I turned around, he whacked me square in the forehead. And I, did, I had a Benny Hen moment. And I went, whoa, bam. I went straight to the ground. I was, bam, I was out. Now, that was painful. The paint, you know, the people stood up and cheered. Literally, people, there was a the full dining room. They stood up. Hey, we want to see that one again. I'm, that's what happened. I'm like, oh. I'm that. But the really painful part was the waiter that knocked me out with the tray came over to me and started poking his finger in my chest while I was laying on the ground. Get up, you stupid idiot. Get up. I'm like, oh, you know. And I get up, and I'm embarrassed, and it was pain. Well, I mean, that wasn't a good start. I mean, I was working there for a couple months. 
In about six months, man, I was still not getting it. And it was a really, I mean, it just wasn't getting it. It wasn't getting, they had all these, there was a lot of rules. And we were really known for our service. It was a fine dining experience. The food was good, but the service was impeccable. It was incredible. Everything we did was very meticulous and every, everything was very ordered. And, and I wasn't getting it. And my boss came to me. The owner of the restaurant wanted to fire me. The maitre d' kind of was my mediator. And, and kind of, he liked me for whatever reason. And, and so he stood up for me. And, but he came to me one Friday night. He said, hey, Eugene. He said, if you mess up again, and those are nice words that he used, uh, if you mess up again, you're out of here. You're going to have to fire you. I mean, come on. Somebody puts that kind of pressure on you. If you don't do it this night, you're out of here. I mean, I'm like, I'm really like, I'm nervous, and I'm scared, I'm afraid. And, and so I walked up to this one table. The night was going pretty good, and I was, you know, I'm got kind of cruising along. And I walked up to this table, and we served these giant shrimp cocktails inside of a, a shell, some kind of seashell. And it was loaded with ice, and they put the, cock- the shrimp on there with the cocktail red sauce and the, the whatever the tartar sauce on there. And, and the pantry chef was supposed to put a, a napkin underneath the ice that filled this little shell, and, and, uh, but he forgot to do it on this one. And so you, when you picked up a, a plate or a dish, you could only use your left hand. I had to have my right hand behind my back, and I picked up this dish, and I was bringing it. And as I was picking this seashell up, loaded down with ice and red cocktail sauce, as I was picking it up, the red cocktail sauce started to slide because the ice started sliding in the bowl. And as it started to slide, I, I, you know, you ever have like a slow motion moment where you're trying to like get something back? Come on, you ever have like a real, it's just like, like, ah. Oh, and I'm trying to catch the cocktail sauce and the ice is sliding out of the bowl. And it, it I mean, it literally, it went up like this. It flipped over and that red cocktail sauce landed smack dab on the shoulder of this guy. No, the problem was he was wearing a white three-piece suit. True story. This, I mean, this really, I'm like, I'm crying. While, the, while like, it's, I'm crying, I start, to, well, I hadn't prayed in years, but I am praying, Jesus, help me, you know, help me, Jesus. And I'm trying to wipe, come on, that's got to be pretty funny. And I'm trying to wipe this cocktail sauce off, and as I'm wiping it off, it's like, oh, I'm going to get fired. And I made it through the night. I made, I, the amazing thing. Really, to me, the whole experience was that when uh, the guy looked up at me, he said, hey, don't worry about it. He goes, I hated this suit. My wife made me wear it. <laughs> True. And my job was spared. You know, the worst possible thing could have happened to me. It happened to me. I messed up, and I didn't lose my job. Within five years, I literally became, I thought I was the best, other guys, but I became one of the top waiters. And when I left there and I went to school, uh, I had letters of recommendation from the owner, from the owner who wanted to fire me. I had letters. I could come back anytime. They let me come back during Christmas break, and I got to work during the most profitable season of the year, during high season, two years in a row. See, I, I turned that pain. It could, have been, it could have been the end. But see, I had a choice to make. Something inside of me, when that happened, it accelerated. I don't know what happened to me. Something just accelerated. Within a year, within a year I was the absolute best busboy. And I became a waiter within about a year and a half, two years. It was a long process. But that pain, you see, something about pain in your life, it has, it has this power. It reveals your character. It reveals who you really are. It reveals who you really are. But pain also produces character or potentially produces character in your life. Now, see, here's the deal. It has the possibility and it has the probability to produce pain but it doesn't positively do it in every person's life. It doesn't work that way. 
It has the ability, it has the possibility and the probability to produce pain, but it doesn't positively mean it's going to happen in your life. You see, James is writing to a group of people here. A group of people, as a matter of fact, who are Christians. And they are scattered. This is a really tough time in the church. The church has enjoyed a season of great success, great prosperity. Thousands of people have come into the kingdom of God. But this is around 60-some A.D. And Nero is the king. And Nero's not a nice guy. And Nero doesn't like Christians. He doesn't like anything that competes with attention for Nero worship. And so Nero starts to persecute the Christians. Fox's Book of Martyrs says that actually during this time, Nero would use Christians as human torches to light the pathway for his chariots. So it wasn't, like, it wasn't cool to wear a cross around your neck and let everybody know you were a Christian and sing, why can't we be, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, it wasn't cool. That wasn't the end thing, to go to church. Matter of fact, it was a great persecution, and it caused the church to scatter. But I want you to see what James here says in verse 1. I'm a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is really fascinating because James, James was the half-brother of Jesus. They had the same mother but a different father. See, Jesus' father was our heavenly father who was God himself. But they had the same mom. Mary was his mom. James did not identify with his fleshly relationship as a half-brother. He identified as a bond slave or a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He identified with God. He identified with him as a slave. You see, our identity as a slave or as a servant guarantees this as a Christian. You will have pain. One of a pocket promise that I have is John 16, You have it in your notes there. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer. Come on, say, be a good cheer. Now here, wow, you got to be kidding me. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You see, God has a purpose and a plan for the pain that you're experiencing. And this is a buy-in moment. This is what you have to buy in when you're going through stuff. It's a buy-in moment because the natural person, the, when you're experiencing stuff, your first tendency isn't to rejoice and to be happy. The first thing that usually comes out of your mouth is frustration and anger and pain and hurt and, and whatever, you know, the human emotions that we all experience. We all go through these. But see, this power of pain has the potential to further the purposes of God in your life. Peter says it like this. Don't think it's strange that fiery trials come into your life. Don't think it's strange. Don't think it weird. Don't think it unusual that it happens to you. You see, it happens to all of us. Today, every person in this room has something happening. Has something that is working and taking place in your life that God wants to use to further His purposes in your life. To further His plan for you. Because, see, God really does care. In Genesis chapter 50, it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. There's a guy named Joseph. Joseph in the Bible is one of the great Bible characters because Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream as a young man, and he didn't, he didn't handle his popularity. He didn't have, handle the favoritism. He didn't handle the, handle the things of his life very well, and he shared his dream with too many people, and his brothers became envious and jealous, and because of that, they sold him into slavery. And at the age of 17, he became a slave, sold eventually went into a home by the, man, by the name of Potiphar, and there he was falsely accused of trying to rape his, his boss's wife, and life just got worse from there. I mean, he had a gloom, despair, agony moment on him. If it wasn't for bad luck, Joseph wouldn't have had any luck. And so Joseph ends up going into prison. He's thrown into prison, and there in prison, God's using him because, see, Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream. 
And Joseph's focus was on the dream that God had for his life. He didn't lose sight of that dream. He had a right perspective on that dream. He knew that somehow God was going to do it. He didn't know when it was going to happen, but he never lost sight of it. He knew that. He knew it. See, when you come to faith in Christ, God has a dream for you. God has a plan for your life. He had it from the day before you were ever born. Jeremiah, last week we talked about, God tells Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb. See, God laid out the plan and the purpose for your life long before creation ever came. Long before he knew you. He made you. But Joseph had this perspective on God. And after Joseph had been sold into slavery, God helps him to interpret the dream of Pharaoh, and he becomes the second most powerful man in the land. You can read, it's one of the great stories in the Bible. It's full of intrigue. It's full of, of, of all kinds of stuff that people pay to watch movies for, you know, and it's got it all in it. It's just one of those, you can't hardly put the story down. But his brothers come to him after he's the second most powerful man in the world, and Joseph says this, listen, guys, you meant it for evil. You meant the pain of my life for evil. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what now is being done. That is to save many lives. Save many lives. See, God has a plan for you. And God's plan for you is part of redemption. It's part of you living a life so that your life can be a testimony and a witness to others. So not even if you're sharing your words, but the, the kind of lifestyle that you live is a reflection of who Jesus is. It's a reflection of God's love. It's a reflection of God's character. But you have to have a proper perspective. You see, you got to get a proper perspective on your pain. Now, let's look at verse number two. My brother counted all joy when you fall into various kinds of trials. All joy. Count it. All joy. Number joy. Now, when I looked at, when I've read this, and I've been walking through stuff of life. It doesn't always feel joyful, does it? As a matter of fact, sometimes it's really, really hard. But James says that we can do it. So if the Bible says that we can do it, and Jesus says, be of good cheer when you're in trouble, it means we have the potential to do it. Listen to what James says here. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various. The, the word in the Greek here, it means like multifaceted or different kinds of colors. Different variations. Some problems in your life are big right now. Some problems may be small, but you're all going through stuff. You're having decisions, relationship issues, financial issues, uh, um, job issues, marriage. I mean, all different kinds of stuff. You're in school and trying to figure out what your future is. and All these kinds of things, there's different kinds of trials and things that you're experiencing right now. But God wants you to know that you can have joy. You can go through it. No, look what he says here. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It has the ability to produce patience in you. Produce. Patience. The word patience in the Greek is hupomuno. Everyone say hupomuno. Come on, say it. Hupomuno. It simply means to come up underneath cheerfully. That's what it means. In the Greek, it means to come up underneath cheerfully. Patience. One of the, uh, the NIV probably, I think, says endurance. Endurance. When you're going through the trials, when you're enduring the difficult seasons and the stuff of life, you come up underneath it. You're not trying to get out of it easily. You're not trying to squirm out of it. But, but you're saying, God, I, I, I want you to do what you want me to do in this. Now, this is a choice. This is getting the right perspective. This is having a proper perspective on trials. When I was younger, I preached, and I still preach, 
You know, God works miracles in your life. I had, I've had so many miracles. I've had God do so many incredible things. But the process of joy in my life has been developed. It's been developed like a fruit. Uh, last year, City Church was so kind to my family and I, and uh, you guys came up here at Pastor's Appreciation, and you had the nine fruits of the Spirit that were represented with different individuals. And, and so 27 different people in our church said these wonderful things about me, and I'm up there looking like, you got to be, really? That's me? Yeah, like, you ever look around, somebody saying something really nice, and you're looking around like, is that really you? I, yeah, that's, and they were so kind. And, and one of the things you guys got me was, uh, uh, every month our family gets a box of Harry and David fruit. Every, every month. And so this, this week we got the box in the mail, and it was a box of mangoes and papayas. It was a fun, it was kind of, I just had this weird, like, you ever have like a deja vu moment? You know, so I, I open the box and I see the papayas. And uh, when I was about 12 years old, I had this album. They actually sold albums back then. Actually, when I was a real little kid, they had 45s and they went to 33s. But I had a 33 LP. And uh, it was the Steve Miller Band. And it was Fly Like an Eagle was the theme song. But there was a song on there. And it went something like this. And you brought me a crate of papayas. And you set them by my front door. Jungle up. You're driving me wild. You're not singing jungle. I got the, you brought me, my wife's looking at me. Are you crazy or what? Yeah. I got this, you know, and we opened it up and, and uh, I looked at those papayas and those mangoes and I had one the next day for breakfast. Wow. Wow. But you know what? It was so sweet. It was so beautiful. But what you know what it was is that the people that were picking that fruit, they didn't pick that fruit when it was really green and really small. No, they let that fruit develop. And because that fruit developed to a certain place and a certain point, they could ship it from wherever they shipped it, from from wherever they shipped it. And I received it in my home, and it was sweet. But that was a process. It wasn't like miracle, bam, there's a seed and there's a mango and now it's sweet. No, there was a process of growth. And that's what happens as believers as we choose to get a right perspective on trials and troubles and stuff that we're going through. God begins to produce sweetness in your life because God's far more concerned about what's happening inside of you. God's far more concerned about your character than he is about your success. Now, if you get the character right, success will be a byproduct. But sometimes we're trying all these things out here, but God's dealing in here. You see, you got to make a choice. You got to make a choice. When pain happens in your life, you got to make a choice to look outward. What's God doing? And upward, God, I need your grace and your help. Or you can look inward. So many people look inward. So many people, they take painkillers. You know, there's lots of pain. Some people look at a painkiller, they try to self medicate at the end of a bottle. They'll pop open a you know, whiskey bottle or beer bottle or whatever. They'll, they try to drown their pain. They got a problem. It's too hard. You don't understand what I'm going through, Pastor. There goes the drink. Some people try to take a pill, try to ease the pain. People do all kinds of things. Some people, oh, I get, if I just go to this counselor, if I just go to this person, I just run to this meeting, this person, this, just this happens. Some people, they go from one relationship, you know, and, and their pain is a broken relationship. So they jump right into another relationship, trying to find intimacy, thinking that that's going to soothe their pain. Some people just want to check out, take a vacation from life. Doesn't care, I can't do it. Heard that. I've heard that in my family. I remember as a kid hearing people in my family say, I'm just taking a vacation. I quit. Doesn't work. That God thing just doesn't work for me. Taking a vacation from that. Some people, 
If I could just be successful, if I could just build the biggest building, I could make this amount of money, if I could just do this, then, then. I mean, all these things that people try to do to be painkillers, and the reality today is that those things are just substitutes. You see, if you say, God, do what in me what you want to do, the fruit that will be produced in your life will be sweet, and God will give you good success. But it isn't the good success we're aiming for. The the, the goal that we're aiming for is the image of Christ. Paul the Apostle said it like this, God is conforming you and making you into the image of Jesus. God wants you to be just like Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. God suffered the moment Adam and Eve said no to him and said, I'm going to eat this fruit. The moment that they chose to rebel against God, God suffered. Pain entered into the world. Problems entered into your life. And you know the reality today, we all have them, but we have a choice. We all have a choice about getting a proper perspective on our life. Billy Graham said, mountaintops are for views and inspiration, but fruit is grown in the valley. World War II, there was a battle at Normandy. And the battle of Normandy was the, the, the turning point of the war and our war against Germany. The Allies soldiers, soldiers, as they were storming the beaches of Normandy, they were being emptied out into boats, and sometimes the boats didn't even make it to the land, and the tanks were falling into the water, and the Germans were shooting at them from the cliffs, and they were literally dying by the thousands. The chatter over the radio began to go out, and, 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 and the negativity, and we're losing the battle, guys. We're not going to make it, but, but there were some soldiers that hadn't quit. They were pressing through. They were, they were climbing up those straits of Dover. They were, they were going for that gunner. They were going to make it to the top of that cliff, and, and as they were pushing up, they, there came an airplane, a bomber that was on its way to bomb the city just outside of the Strait of Dover there, where, where, where they were trying to take that fortress, and as he flew over, he saw a different scenario. He saw a different picture. As a matter of fact, he saw that we'd already broken through the line in one place. We were actually winning. We were actually, yeah, there were thousands of guys that were dead on the beaches and in the water. And over 5,000 U.S. soldiers died. And over 80,000 Germans died. And it was a bloody, brutal battle. But we were winning. We were winning. And he radioed back, they're winning. And then the chatter began to go out. and Hey, keep going. We're taking this place. We're taking this fortress. And the Battle of Normandy is known today as the most, one of the most famous battles that the United States military and the Allied forces ever fought. See, what happened? That airplane bomber had a different view. He had an aerial view. He saw from afar. He saw from the sky, the eye in the sky. He saw looking over the field. See, he wasn't in the middle of it. And sometimes when you're in the middle of stuff and problems and trials, it seems to be impossible and you can't do it. And it's too difficult and it's too challenging. But see, you serve a God who has an aerial view. You serve a God who has a different perspective. You serve a God who knows the beginning and the ending of your life. You see, you got to make a choice today. This last week, it came out that Apple has just taken over Microsoft as the world's largest technology company. You know, it it was really pretty interesting that Steve Jobs, this guy that, you know, is really famous now for the iPad and the iPhone and all these creations, 10 years into this business, into the Apple company's corporation, he was fired by his board of directors. Steve, uh, uh, Steve Jobs started this company in his garage, and within 10 years, it became a multi-billion dollar company. But it became a public company, and they had corporate boards of directors, and the board of directors, they did a coup on him, and they threw him out. They fired him. 
I, I want you to hear, he said this this week in talking about this and about this time in his life. This was in Fox News Business Report. He says, I didn't see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again. Less sure about everything. It freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. Thus iPhone. Thus iPad. Thus iMac. Thus whatever iPhone. whatever, Whatever Apple does. Unbelievable. So he got a different perspective. He learned. Hey, gotta start over. You know what's amazing? Within less than five years, the board of directors hired him back to become the president of, of Apple again, and he's taken the company to New Heights, largest tech company that the world has ever known. You see, as a believer, as a believer, you have a pocket promise. It's Romans 8.28. Paul went through stuff. He went through beatings. He went through trials. He went through troubles. He went through all these things for the Christ. He said, hey, listen, guys, all these things work together for good, for them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And then he goes on because he says God wants to have many children. The next verse, he says that. He says God wants to have many children. And if you're a follower of Christ today, you're going to have stuff. You're going to have pain. You're going to have problems. But whatever you're going through today, God has a little email for you. It's in your email box when you go home today or pop it up on your phone. It's Romans 8.28. All things are going to work together for your good because I love you. I made you. Come on, get a different perspective. See that what God has allowed to happen in your life. No, it might have been the devil. It might have been some other person. It might have been a spouse, a husband, a boss, a co-worker. It might have been your children. I don't know who it was. It flat out might have been yourself. You might have brought the pain upon yourself. I don't know why you're where you're at today. But I want you to know if you begin to think and see and change your attitude about the problem that you have, God's going to take you to the next level. But in order to do that, you've got to really look inwards. You've got to say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? God, what are, you, what are you teaching me to do? You know, and, and 10 years ago, we started the church. The first year, you know, grew. And God was with us. We, we get kicked out of the first movie there. I was thinking about this. I was just thinking about all the opportunities that I had to quit. All, so many times. Three years ago, we started a preschool. Three years ago, we started a preschool. Three weeks into the preschool, the lady that we had hired to be the director, because nobody on our staff had any experience, the lady that we had hired to be the director quit. She just said, I can't take it. Uh, I don't want to be your friend any longer. I don't want this preschool. See ya. Bye. Wow. Okay. What are we going to do? 16 kids in a preschool. We got no idea how to run this preschool. We're not even sure where to turn. We really don't have any money. It was kind of a face step to start the preschool. Kind of on a shoestring kind of business. We're like, okay, God, what do we do? God, what do we do? My wife says, I'll do it. My wife jumps in. My wife, Pastor Laura, has done everything. She's been children's pastor, preschool director, uh, secretary, whatever there is, she done it here. And so she took the preschool. We, we really didn't know how to run a preschool, but we figured there had to be someone that knew how to do it better. And so we went, and we actually went to the state. We heard that there was government programs out there, and, and so we said, hey, man, we, we want to figure out how to do this better. And so we went to the state, and they said, hey, guys, we don't know how to do this. Show us what to do. About a year ago, Seminole County, the Board of Education, came to my wife and said, we're doing a pilot program for preschools in Seminole County. There's 185 preschools in Seminole County that received government funding. About a year ago, their new system that they're setting up in the state of Florida in the educational department for preschools, and they're, they're instituting a new process, a new program called the CREST process. 
And the credit system is basically a rating system for schools, and it's based on a star rating. You want two star, three star, four star, five star, and they have criteria at these different levels. And, and so they gave my wife this book, and they gave her a personal coach, and they worked with her. And over the last six to eight months, we've been working on this crest rating. This last week, on Monday, this last Monday at 4.30 in the morning, God woke me up. I don't get up at 4.30 normally. Normally, my wake-up time is 6.15 on the dot every day. Sometimes I get up a little early. I'll lay there. But, I mean, 6.15 is when I get up out of bed, and I walk my dog, and, and I get up, and it's 4.30. I go, okay, God. He says, I want you to read your Bible portion for today. I just feel that in my heart. I've got to read. And so I get my phone out, and uh, I'm reading my Bible portion, and it's James chapter 1. And I'm reading the message paraphrase, and it says, pain is a sheer gift. I had no idea what my week was going to hold. I know, had no idea that we were going to have all kinds of transition and challenges and changes in our school this week. And I was in school all week long. Monday through Friday, I was in school down in Kissimmee from 8.30 to 4.30 every day. And so I wasn't here on campus. And there was all kinds of stuff happening on campus with our school and transitions. And, and so we get to the end of the week. We get to Friday. And the Seminole County the coalition, the, pre, the head of the Seminole County Learning uh, Coalition comes to my wife on Friday. And so they had these 15 schools that had turned in all their work. And, and she comes to her and she says, congratulations. She says, out of 185 schools in Seminole County, based on the Crest System rating, and in the 15 pilot schools, you were the only school that got a four-star rating. Come on, give the Lord a great big hand. <laughs> the highest rating? No. We didn't just wake up and say, oh, there's the fruit. Let me tell you, hard work, sweat, labor, frustration, pain, people quit, not easy, bad things happen, children get hurt, lots of pain, but we set our sight on a dream to be the very best that we could be for God. We set our sight at City Church to be a world-class church. We set our sight to be a world-class youth ministry. We set our sight to be a world-class children's ministry. We set our sight to be a, a world-class small group ministry. We set our sight to have world-class worship and world-class preaching on Sunday morning. We set our sight to fulfill the dream and the purpose that God has called us to. Are we there yet? No way. Not even close. Are we want to be? No. We're not Pollyanna about it. We know that life has problems and pain, but we serve a God. We looked inward and said, God, we can't do it, but with you we can See, we can't do it on our own. We don't have the ability. We don't have the strength. We don't have the power. But this morning, I want you to know there is a tremendous power available to you, and it's called prayer. Prayer is your source. Now, this is where i got to get really nitty-gritty. i got to get really down brass tacks. Prayer is not some kind of ritualistic, spiritual little thing that you do someplace like, you know, like all the stars have to line perfect. And No. Prayer is communion. It's talking to God. I'm driving down the street last week, and I feel all this pressure building up inside of me, and I start to declare what God says about me. I'm healthy, happy, holy, humble, faith-filled, fun-loving, born-again Christian. I'm a child of God. I started saying what God said. Did I, feel like it, did I feel like I was happy at the moment? No way. Did I feel like I was holy at the moment? No way. Did I feel like I was a fun-loving person? No. The problems were pressing in, but I made a choice. I made a choice. I said, God, I can't. I was driving with a missionary this week, and we were just driving down the road, and, and my wife called me about another challenge that was happening at the school before Friday came, and, and I was like, oh, God. 
thank you today. I just started thanking him. See, God had already told me on Monday that the pain that I was going to be experiencing this week was a sheer gift. Transitions. See, we're in transition. You are in transition. You're not yet where you're going to be, but you're soon going to be where God wants you to be. And when you get to where God wants you to be, it still isn't done yet. And when I sat with Pastor Carl in the second service, while you guys were worshiping in the front of this third service in my office for Faith Assembly, and he was telling me about the stuff that he was going through in his life and just had surgery this week. And, and he said, when does it stop? When does the pain stop? I said, the pain doesn't stop in this life until you hit them, until you, you, you breathe your last buck of breath, and they put you in a wooden coffin. It never stops. In this life, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Let me tell you, the choice that you make today, the attitude that you carry about your problems and your challenges are up to you. No one can make you do it. I'm going to give you some really practical things today, some really practical things about prayer. One, it's just talking to God. Saturday night, we come up here, and we intercede, and we pray, and we shout, and we shundai, and we go for God. But prayer, my life is 6.15 in the morning when I hook up my dog, Blessing, who isn't always a blessing and likes to leave blessings all over the neighborhood. When I walk my dog down that street, I say, God, thank you for you. I mean, every day, it's like clockwork. Every day I get up, first thing I do before I eat a bowl of cereal, before I drink my coffee, before I put my fruit and my bran and all that kind of stuff and my pop my vitamins, I just begin to talk to God every day. Guys, it's really simple. It's really, really, this is some stuff that I just learned about life. It's 46 years. It's taken, I mean, 20, 46 years old, 20 some years as a believer. It's taken me a long time to come to this, but it's really not that hard. I mean, it's simple, but it's hard. You know what I mean? Because you've got to make a choice. You've got to flesh. You're tired. You want to sleep in. Oh, yeah. And it's not about works. It's just about talking with God. The second thing that I've learned is that I've got to read this thing right here. This is called the Bible. Everyone say Bible. I've got to read this Bible. I've got to read the Bible in my life. I have to read it. God spoke to me this week because I was reading this thing right here. Now, I was reading it on my phone. But God gave me that word this week. The pain on this week was going to be a sheer gift. Sheer gift from God. No problem. So when the pain came, no problem. See, I, I, had, I read this book. That's a choice that I made. It's a choice that I, re, that I make. You know, sometimes, especially preachers, guys have to do this all the time. They have to read the Bible to get a word, to share people. No. This is my life. I can't do this. I can't live life without this. Shut your TV off. Get along with God, get the book, get your phone, however you read your Bible. And if you don't know how to read it, if you don't understand what it's saying, ask the Holy Spirit to show you. I was 23 years of age. I read the Bible. It didn't make any sense to me. I didn't make, I mean, I read it. It didn't make no sense. And so I said, God, teach me. That's exactly what I did. I said, God, teach me. Now, I was going to church, and, and as a pastor would read like a pastor like James, I was starting to do that. But I just, I remember just going into my church during the day all by myself and just start saying, Lord, teach me. I didn't know how to worship. I did not know how to worship. And I said, Lord, I started reading. Somebody told me, well, if you read the Psalms and start praying the Psalms, you'll learn how to worship. So I went up to the church, and I just started. Psalms were really easy to read. And I just started reading the Psalms, and I just started praying the Psalms. And I said, God, teach me how to worship. And so when the Bible said dance, I would just like by myself. Must have looked crazy. Probably the pastor looked in there, and there's this guy in there. Like, I don't even know how to dance, you know. What do you mean dance? I'm like dancing. Bible says sing a new song. I would sing a song to God. I didn't know what all that meant. But God taught me. God showed me by his Holy Spirit. You see, make spending time with God your number one priority. You got to hang out with people who are faith-filled. 
we are realistic Christians. We are not Pollyanna, stick your head in the sand, life's no problems. We've got plenty of them. Our staff, first service, we want it to grow. First service here, 830 service, a little thin. We're like, we want it to grow. What do we need to do? We get back in the room, in my office or the conference room, and we talk about what, what do we need to do? Let's search in. Is there any limitations on us? Are we not doing our part? Are we not passing? Are we not following up? Are we not making phone calls? Change the park? I mean, can we do something different? What do we need to do? Kenny Hallam, all by himself, was bringing people into this church. We had David Moss's son, first service here, as because Kenny, when he was getting his oil changed, invited him to come. He handed him a card. He said, will you come to my church? And he was here, first service, and cool guy. And he said, I'll come back next week. And it was a great service. I was like, wow. He just invited him. Just one person invited somebody to come to church, and the guy came. Amazing. Hang out with faith-filled, realistic, optimistic, believing people. You know, and so, you know here's the challenge. Some, you know, if you're married to a person who's negative, unbelieving, frustrated, and angry, you know what you are? Stuck. But, but <laughs> you're stuck. But you can still choose your attitude. You can still choose your attitude. No one can tell you what to think. No one can tell you what to feel. No one can tell you. You have a choice. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he said it was finished. We took communion. It was the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that was here. God's Spirit is in you. Those moments when you're with God alone, you'll sense His Spirit. That's the revelation that you need. That's the understanding. God, this pain, this problem really is a gift. I haven't worried one moment this week. Philippians 4, Paul says it like this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank Him for all that He's done. See, you have to turn your problem into a praise. And that's the rub. Because you've got to get focused on the right thing. Your focus has got to be on the potential. Your focus has got to be on the positively. If I make the right choice... God is going to see me through. Is it easy? No. But it is possible. As a matter of fact, when you start to go down this trail, it does get easier. Because you see things from a different perspective. You'll start to see things from God's view. An aerial view. Not your view. You're looking like this. You're a soldier. You're on the front line and you're taking bullets. and The devil's attacking you and shooting fiery darts. And people are saying things and it's hard. And God's saying, you can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm the beginning and the end of your life. Come unto me when you're tired. Wait upon the Lord and I will give you strength. You will mount up with wings like eagles. You you will run and not be weary. Wait on me. See, that's the power of understanding the gift of pain. It has the power to change your life. See, when you change, other things around you might not change. But your world does change. And that's the reality. The reality is, when you change, things around you begin to change. It's never, so we want everybody else to change. We want our parents to change. We want our school to change. We want our boss to change. You know, we're praying that other people change. And, you know, that's cool. But what God wants you to do is say, God, change me. David said, created me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Paul prayed that his eyes... God, I pray that the spiritual eyes of my understanding would be open. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I may see. Thanks for listening to this message, The Gift of Pain, with Lead Pastor Eugene Smith. 
For service times and more information about City Church Orlando, please visit our website anytime at orlandocitychurch.com or call 407-321-9600.